The Royals beat the Twins 5-4. It's a one-run ball game in the opener at Kauffman Stadium. We're going to break this one down on today's Lockdown Twins postcast. You are Lockdown Twins postcast, part of Lockdown Sports Minnesota, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of our Lockdown Twins postcast. It's Tuesday, September 20th. I'm the host of Lockdown Twins, Nash Walker. You're with writer and reporter at Access Twins, Mr. Brandon Warren. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on mlb that's linkedin.com slash locked on mlb to post your job for free terms and conditions apply brandon welcome back we're back for a series opener at the k i think both of us would have the k in our top five for stadiums we've been to uh twins lose five to four and interesting interesting uh happening perhaps in this game, we didn't get confirmation, but it looked like Rocco Baldelli pulled Gilberto Celestino, uh, not for an injury, but for something else. <laughs> what did you think of that, Brandon? It It's really at this point. I think counted to the point where something had to happen, and he's a pretty easy guy to choose based on some of the mental mistakes he's made here in the last, I'd say, three three to four weeks. And this was just the the right time to do it, or or maybe before would have been, but this was just kind of the the icing on the proverbial cake. And it's just the season has reached a tipping point. It reached a tipping point, quite frankly, quite a while ago. And I think it's just time for for in this case Rocco to show he can't tolerate this anymore. He can't allow this to happen. Yeah, Celestino, uh, ball four was not called. Instead, he grounded out, and he was very uh, frustrated by that. We don't know what happened after. Something might have happened after with him, but uh, pulled from this game. This kind of translates into a discussion we haven't had, Brandon, about Rocco Baldelli's status for 2023. And I, I haven't thought about it much this year because, to me, I just don't see a scenario where he's not back in 2023. Do you think there's any chance... Rocco Baldelli is not managing this team on opening day next year. Well, the one thing I heard on the radio, by the way, is that Celestino walked very slowly back to the yeah. dugout and it was really getting on the nerves of the Royals and the twins didn't like it either. Meanwhile, um, as far as Rocco coming back, I'd say it's yeah almost certain outside of, you know, some weird occurrence, like he gets a job somewhere else or something, you know, maybe he goes and manages LSU like Wes Johnson. (laughs) I'm kidding. Um, Yeah. There's a take for you. Uh, You know, I think, I think that if they start slow next year, the seat under Rocco and Falvey and Levine would start to get a little hot, not, and not because they've done a poor job, but just the results haven't matched the, the process and at some point after three seasons you got to kind of take stock of what you have in front of you and and reevaluate and you know is is the pitching pipeline that we've heard so much about as close as you or I might think I don't think it's too far off but at the same time how much longer do you want to go into the future 
You've got a big Buxton contract. You're probably going to have a big offseason this year with contracts handed out relative to what they've done to this point. Um, I don't do leash. I don't call it a leash, but I feel like the the amount of um, slack that they have at this point is probably not what it was a few months ago. It's, it's interesting how this has turned the last couple of years. You know, with this front office, they get that extension after 2019. I think a lot of us felt rightly so after the job that was done in 2019. 2020 is a division-winning season, albeit a shortened season, and then now back-to-back what will be non-playoff seasons for this front office. I mean, you see some groups go through. The Mariners haven't made the, the playoffs since, what is it, 2001? I think it's 2001, yep. but th- I think there's a higher expectation here. There's a high expectation. I'm not saying Mariners fans don't have a high expectation for their club to make the playoffs, but after 2019 and 2020, I think there's the expectation level is high. They set the bar high they made the playoffs in 2017 their first year and that that bar is high and for them you know that's it it's been a tough bar to clear the last couple of years i want to say the that mariners team won 116 games and didn't do anything in the playoffs and then spent the next 20 plus years looking to get back there and so it can be easy to fall into a trap of the twins haven't made noise in the playoffs for basically as long as you've been alive um, little, maybe a little less, but you do have to put that into the context of a lot of teams don't make the playoffs in that time frame. But, um, you know, you get, yeah, you get wrapped up in, in that playoff futility and realize that at least you made the playoffs. And that's more than a lot of teams can say. I though think fairly or unfairly at this point, this front office has graded on a bit of a curve as they've come in and overhauled everything. You know, we talked about how much, you know, how old fashioned Ron Gardenhire was, and I think in some senses, Paul Molitor was a decent transition, but they've basically gone the way of analytics, analytics, analytics. And, you know, this is the future that I wanted when I was a 20-something baseball writer back in the day. Um, you know, now it's coming to a head. Is that a viable, feasible way to run a baseball team in 2022? Well, we'll find out in 2023. I think it's going to be, um, you know, much, much tighter ship run around there and they're going to have a lot more accountability as it comes down to um you know have they put this team in a better spot than they found it and i think they they have but have they progressed it far enough in seven years which that's a question that deserves to be asked is there a scenario brandon this offseason where without carlos correa no no carlos correa signing where we can feel like good about 2023 because to me that's just such a priority to fill that hole and i'm not saying it has to be correa but let's say they don't fill shortstop with a big time bat or big time player is there any route here where we're feeling confident twins fans are feeling confident about 2023 even without correa or bogarts or turner or somebody to fill in at short i feel like you'd probably have to excuse me land carlos Rodon in that case and Really, you know, I keep kind of banging the drum, but with the way their payroll is structured, adding another superstar is a no-brainer. And, you know, there's questions of if Carlos Rodon can stay healthy, but he's been healthy for a while now. He's still going to be fairly young as far as a free agent pitcher goes. So for me, it comes down to adding a star somewhere. Will either of those shortstops suffice? Sure. Do I feel like they have the same galvanizing presence in a clubhouse? I don't know. Does that matter? I don't know. I mean, Xander Bogarts has won a ring. Carlos Correa has won a ring. Trey Turner's won a ring. 
So, I mean, how, what, what's the, uh, what's the intangible value for each of these guys and how much does it actually matter? I don't know, but the twins have to land a big time talent who makes this team, which is otherwise relatively young, um, you know, gives them a cornerstone to lean on. Uh, to me, Correa is kind of that guy, but if they can get Rodon instead, I'm not going to be too upset. I, the poll Brandon put out, he, I think he put it out today. It was an interesting question, interesting talking point. If hypothetically the Twins were to sign Xander Bogarts and you know Noah Syndergaard or Nathan Yavaldi, someone of that stature in in the on the starting pitching market, would you rather have that or them just to sign Correa for essentially what have been the price for those other two? And I was thinking about it, and I think my initial reaction is Correa just because of the defense, and I feel putting him up the middle and just having a cemented, you know, great shortstop is going to benefit everybody around him. And, and it has this year. What's your take on that, Brandon, if you had to go uh, one way or the other? Well, the last time I checked the results was a couple hours ago. And the second option, which was Bogarts and a pitcher was winning, but it wasn't by a huge fashion. Now, yesterday's poll flipped pretty quickly. So there's probably still some time for it to flip here in the next 10, 12 hours. But for me, uh, I mean, the problem is, does Nathan Avaldi do anything for you that you can't reasonably hope Joe Ryan does or Sonny Gray or Tyler Malley? And the reason I say that is because if you've got a rotation full of like guys who peak as number two starters, is there any novelty factor to signing another one? That's a guy that's going to keep a Louis Varland either in St. Paul or in a different role rather than a starter. So what you really need is is to go get a Rodon or else go back to this reclamation project thing, but spend less money on a Sean Manaya or something like that. So to that end, I mean, then you want Correa, right? But if Bogarts is a couple years older, but is having a very, very good season is available and you can get him. And I mean, people, people say, what about a reliever? I don't, twins aren't going to spend that kind of money on a reliever and free agency. They just aren't okay. going to do it. Um, you know, what's the alternative then if you were to get Bogarts and, you know, a decent fourth outfielder who can play center to back up Buxton? I don't really know that that makes sense either. So to me, it's a pretty narrow path. And right now I'm leaning Korea. But if it's Bogarts and Syndergaard, I still think Syndergaard's got a chance to start popping the mid again a year further removed from Tommy John. And so if it's Syndergaard, I'm in for Bogarts and Syndergaard. If it's Valdi, Manaya, someone of that, then I'm right back to Korea. But either way, I'm not going to be dissatisfied. Twins are going to need to sign some some elite ball players this winter. That's the bottom line. Congratulations. You are the owner of a brand new <laughs> certified re uh what do they call it? Certified uh pre-owned Elvis Andrews. Oh man. Oh it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. Oh. Well, that's my point. That's kind of my point when I was asking that is like if you have Andres at short and you even sign Rodon, does that really change the the perception of the team next year? And to me, you need a, a really good shortstop and you need to sign a top of the rotation pitcher. Well, Andres has been pretty good for the White yeah. Sox. Was it enough for you to be more excited about him than you were uh, Andrelton Simmons at the time? You know, no. Simmons came off opting out of the end of the 2020 season. He was still a good defender. You knew the bat was kind of a noodle, but it was going to be respectable batting average. And then he just cratered, and then he's taken it to a whole other level this year. Um, it would not be very exciting. But again, with Rodon, 
I guess I would understand it, especially if you got good reports that Royce Lewis is progressing. But I don't know. I mean, I, I'd be a lot more lukewarm on that than uh, excited. A lot more conversations ahead. Twins did lose tonight to the Royals five <laughs> four at Kaufman. Small uh, detail. Brandon, thank you so much. Thanks, everybody, for watching. As always, and we'll be back. Go Twins.